Hey everyone, it is me, Lauren, your creative mentor, and now we're back on our regular schedule where it's just me talking. <laughs> it's kind of weird, and we've just spent the last month listening to pretty much every other creative I could find and think of to give you their perspective on... Um, you know, their personal experience and all that stuff. So this month, we're going to kind of talk a little bit more about how you feel and things that I think are important to check in on as you navigate your career. Um, you know, basically, um, you know, where to get your confidence from, dealing with career jealousy, which is something a lot of us find ourselves in or, you know, the point of contention for others and what to expect, like if you're ever let go from a job, all that stuff is what we're going to cover this month. So today I wanted to talk about essentially the thought that um, it's not up to you to decide how hireable you are. And all these things that have kind of been a common denominator in a lot of discussions that I've been having outside of these interviews and uh, again, if you're new here, I always say this when it's just me, um, you should vet people who are giving you advice on either your money, your job, or your uh, mental health. And I do all three of those things. So um, you should vet me. Um, I feel I'm qualified to at least offer you a perspective to consider these things, but you can always look me up. My name's Lauren Versino. Find me on LinkedIn or anywhere else on the internet and see if I'm someone you want to emulate in any way or listen to. But, um, that's the fun thing. So <laughs> I want to talk about something I've, I've been getting a lot in emails from you guys, actually. A lot of you guys email me asking me a really uh, similar question and in some shape or form you ask, should I keep going to school? Should I uh, take this extra class before I start applying to the jobs that I want? And the key piece of this that I keep honing in on that is interesting to me is you guys are giving yourself a fake parameter. Should I do this before I start applying for jobs? And it kind of makes it sound like at least consistently that the the main thought everybody's having is that you need to complete XYZ thing before you can start looking for work because if you don't do that, then you're not prepared to work. And I just want to say right up front immediately that a lot of school is not actually ever gonna prepare you for working. Uh, being a working creative is a very DIY kind of job to have. It's uh, a huge undertaking for any individual who chooses to do this for their profession. And there's a lot you should consider for yourself before you get into the creative field. Essentially just making sure that your your joy of creating and your uh, need to make money in our society, if those two things can be combos for you in your life that makes your life feel more full and fulfilled in some way, absolutely chase that. But if you're thinking you're not educated enough, you're not practiced enough, you're not XYZ thing and people won't even look at you, School is not necessarily the thing that's going to help you land work. 
And I think that that goes into a really interesting place. I was talking to one of my friends who's like truly an academic, like going to school all the time in the research field, in the science field, you know, their profession is going to fall in research schools for like the remainder of their career where mine is so not personally, my creative career is so detached from academia. It's ridiculous to me. (laughs) And so something that was interesting that we were talking about is what is school for? And they kind of got all up in arms when I like posed the question because I essentially threw in like a wrench into the into the reality of, you know, school is the end all be all because their profession lies within school. Mine does not. And in fact, I'm very frustrated that for me, art school didn't prepare me at all for the working world. It didn't prepare me for contract work or managing a business or taking advantage of a lot of the things I've talked about on this podcast. It didn't prepare me to find any talent agencies or headhunters. It didn't teach me how to protect myself through the contract work that I would write contracts for clients between myself and licensing my work. All that stuff that we've talked about was never brought up in my school experience. Maybe yours is different. I hope to God that it is. But if it's not, then the question still remains, what is school for? Why do we go? Why do we pay to go to art school? And I don't think there's anything wrong with being an art student. And that's something else that we've already talked about in the art school episode. But distinguishing who you are and why you're going to school is... A question I wish I had faced on my own because before I went to college because I don't know if I would have made the same choice because I went to college expecting it to prepare me to work in the art world and it did nothing of the sort and so you know what is what is school for if if you're already sitting here deciding hey before I'm I'm quote-unquote good enough to start applying for jobs, I have to go to school, I have to get this certificate, I have to get this degree, I have to get complete this course, I have to, I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do this. Um, For some parts of the field, it is true, you should be certified in certain things, or, or you should know the basics of XYZ thing. But what is school for? Because it's not for getting work. It's for being practiced. It's for being, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a time and place essentially to create and curate your portfolio. Because unless you're super disciplined, which I am not, um, you can't structure yourself to work on your portfolio 24-7 unless you're in school for that purpose. So to me, the answer to the question, what is art school for? It's to explore your art practice it's to hone your technical skill and it's to specifically spend a full-time schedule of school into preparing a portfolio of work that represents what you enjoy doing to translate into the working world however there's a catch-22 there because how can you create work to best translate yourself into the working world if you don't know what the working world wants and school isn't preparing you for work you know so we get into this like conundrum here and I think that's why a lot of you when you email me and ask me this specific question 
do I need to go to school? Do I need to do this? How do I do this X, Y, Z thing? Uh, you guys are all counting yourself out before you're counting yourself in. And what I mean by that is you are deciding how hireable you are when you're not the person who's hiring you. You guys are all already going, I'm not educated enough. No one will look at my resume. False. I'm not practiced enough. No one will take my work seriously. False. All of that's not true. You know, I went into my first design job ever in 2013, having maybe three months of Photoshop experience in my whole life. And I walked into that interview and I said, yes, I know how to use Photoshop because I knew that I could learn it. And fun, fun twist of fate. They were like, well, we put Photoshop in our job description, but we need you to know Corel Draw and we don't expect people to know that. And you can learn it on the job. There's parallels to it. If I had waited to consider myself an expert in Photoshop, I wouldn't have even put myself in that seat to be considered for that job that plot twist didn't need me to know that. So it's kind of funny. Like that's just what the reality of the world is. That's just like how this whole thing works. And so it, it's, it's frustrating for me as a creative professional who does look at portfolios and who does advise people a lot and like volunteers my time in this way to hear all of you count yourself out when you're not the person who's going to count yourself in in the first place. You're not the person who's looking at your portfolio. You're the person who's making it. You're not the person who knows what they need and, you know, is picking someone to hire you're the person that people need to hire. And if you think having all of the degrees in art in the world or having all of the experience in whatever in the world is what you need to get a job, I don't know if this is frustrating to tell you or not, but that's nobody's waiting for you to do that. Literally nobody. Nobody in the working world is waiting for you to have a master's in art unless you're like in the museum, like academia of art jobs, which is totally cool. And that's a whole other thing, you know, being like a being a museum curator, being being someone who like restores fine art like that's a whole that's the academic side of like the whole art world. And And I'm not super experienced to know what you need. And I would venture to say you do need a lot of education to do that because it's literally the field of art education. But for commercial design, for commercial photography, for logo and mark making and product design and and all these things, for copywriting, all this stuff, you do not need to be like a professor of literature or to be a copywriter. You do not need to have a master's in communication arts to be a graphic designer. You just need a bachelor's degree to get your foot in the door too. I think that's on its way out. I don't know how many more years that's going to matter as much, but like for my generation, millennials and older, having a degree got you a foot in the door for people to like look at your resume to not throw it out. Now that there's all this AI software scanning stuff, like that didn't exist when I was lying my way into my first design job. So, you know, there is a nuance to all of it. But I have seen email after email after email from you guys where you're counting yourself out before you count yourself in. And I'm telling you, like, fake it. 
fake it till you make it. That's why I lied my way into my first design job. I had like three business cards I designed on Vistaprint and then illustrations from my my uh, my Photoshop class that I took and my screen print my screen printing prints. That was my portfolio to get a graphic design job eight years ago. And then you go on the job and you learn a little bit all the time. You know, I start I did production work for a few years and started like copying people's logos because I had to remake them. Because guess what? No one has vector files of anything, so I had to make them. And then you you find avenues and you find opportunities on your way. Like I learned Illustrator because the company I worked for started printing t-shirts. And I was like, okay, I can separate silk screens. I did that in college. I can learn this program and put those put two and two together and figure this out. And then you move on to other things. And like I did manufacturing and production work for a long time. So I know how to source, how to get things made and how to set up files for the th- the the manufacturers to make them. That's why I do pins by myself because that's where I started. And now I do concepting for advertisements where you have to bring inspiration and you have to brainstorm stuff and you have to learn marketing jargon and you have to work together with the marketing team. Did I do any of that? up till three years ago? No, I don't have a marketing degree. I don't have a communications degree. I don't have a graphic design degree. I don't have a UX certificate. I don't have any of that stuff. I just have my work experience that led me here. And I say a hundred billion times, like, just go try things. This is how that's valuable. I'm not saying school is useless. You definitely need to go for certain kinds of creative professions, but I'm telling you, If I sat there and decided, oh, I can't go for the communications job or, oh, I'm not qualified for that advertising job. I've, I've never worked with in this capacity this before. I've never concepted something to completion. I've never brainstormed anything before. Um, I didn't know how to art direct photography with a photography studio and stuff like that. If I read my current job description with that attitude three years ago, I would not be where I am. I would have counted myself out before I counted myself in. And what got me into this position was, you know, I had a recruiter who looked at all of my skills and saw how they were transferable into what their client needed, which is now the place that I work full time, like for real. And so that's kind of the point of all of it. You know, so if you're counting yourself out before you count yourself in, you're also shutting the door on yourself to learn on the job. Like, just go try things. Another thing I say to a lot of people is walk into the room with the audacity of a white dude. Like, just own it. Ask for what you want. Own what you're good at. And the rest you'll learn. I Google stuff every day all the time. I Google how to look up things. I Google how to format things. I look up what other people's decks look like to make decks for like these huge pitches. Like no one's ever going to be an expert at what they do. They're just going to get good at it with practice. And if you are coming up with a hundred excuses to not do something, guess what you're not doing? You're not practicing shit. You're not getting any better at anything. You're just going to school and feeling comfortable that you're just in a classroom and that that's going to benefit you. 
But another thing we're all seeing is that is an arguable position to be in with student debt and the jobs that are out there and what's going on with the pandemic and all this stuff. So it's super interesting to me that that's like y'all's biggest worry right now in the emails you all send me at this point. And so I, I just want to encourage you to just like let let go and don't take it as seriously as you might think because we're all worried you know it's scary to just go like start being an adult and start being a professional like it's super weird there is a learning curve you are not going to be good at it at first but you're going to figure it out and honestly if you're listening to me right now you're already probably doing a lot more than the guy sitting next to you so just like relax find where you're you're most naturally confident and just chase that confidence and truly fake it till you make it. That's what I did to the point where I was like, I, after a while, I was like, I do know what I'm talking about. I am the authority in this. I can back it up with examples and work now. Now it's just the truth. So (laughs) I encourage you all to like find your way through that part of the woods. And I think it's just going to help you so, 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 so much. Another thing I wanted to touch on is um, I call them title traps. I just made that term up. But when you're looking at work, there's a bunch of titles out there. There's junior creative director. There's associate creative director. There's entry-level graphic designer. There's junior this, associate that. And I just want to tell you that while all of those are great, and if you can get any of the titles out there you're chasing, like I'm all for that for you great job good on you if you're fresh out of school and can get a creative director position like have at it I don't have a judgment about how you're leaping or where you're getting or what you're doing what I do want to say though is their titles might not be apples to apples depending on your job you know when I was 22 I was put in charge for some reason Working three years in my field, I was put in charge of a department to make sure that the screen printing and consumer like um, interface made sense. And this was like, again, back in like 2013, 2014. So I barely knew what a Pantone book was. All I knew was how to screen print, uh, what the production dudes would do in the back to make orders, uh, and how to order shirts for the stock that we needed that would also I would arrive I would order it in the morning and it would arrive in the afternoon like it was a real slapdash thing for a minute but it was just starting out and I didn't know Illustrator and me and one lady we were put in charge of this whole department to create a process and grow it which is also why I'm really great at logistics now (laughs) but you know I didn't get a title promotion and I didn't get a raise and quite honestly I should have for that work But what I was doing was essentially becoming like a creative operations manager for this on top of the designer because of all the things I would be responsible for. And if they had like given me that title, which is the truth, like the job description I was doing was that title. It just wasn't formally given to me. There is no way, though, at a mom and pop shop doing that, I could have gone to a huge brand like, let's say, for example, you know, Adidas or Nike or or something like that and been the creative operation manager either because then all of a sudden that means, oh, you have to manage a team of like 
20 people and you have to deal with budgets and HR and like people's paychecks and getting people equipment and managing like sourcing for getting billboards printed like those jobs like figuring out a screen printing department as the creative operations manager and then like managing an entire brand's creative operations it's the same title but they're way different jobs and one is way more intense than the other and so what I, that's what I mean by like just watch the titles that you're getting and how they stack up to your expectations for yourself and it's absolutely fine to jump around titles and use them as stepping stones and looking at all of that but they are not apples to apples based on the sizes of the clients or companies that you're landing and maybe that's a great thing you know when we were listening to Zoe Rain talk about um, photography and, and bidding for jobs and things like that like she used that to her absolute benefit and like figuring out how to make all of that work within her creative studio and everything. But when you're like a 20 year old or a 22 year old, like I was, you know, I wouldn't have been able to make that big leap. And then if you stay somewhere under that title for five years, and then you want to go move up to something and try something new at a bigger brand, it'll be harder for you. And you're going to have to eat a slice of humble pie and like maybe work in a large organization, but at a way less impressive sounding title because you have to work yourself into the system to understand it better to work your way back up. And because creative jobs are a little more um, flexible and you can kind of write how you want them to go, that is a plus and minus situation depending on what you find yourself in. And so it's all about seizing opportunity and, you know, taking it upon yourself to learn on the job, to leverage your position, to look for things like that. If you are looking to be a career creative, like I myself am, I hope to be a creative manager one day, you know, I want to manage other people. I want to manage creative, you know, uh, campaigns and things like that and delegate tasks and talk about how it affects business, all that stuff. And so, you know, all of these things are important pieces of information. But again, going back to the point, if I counted myself out at my first job before I counted myself in, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have tried the things that I tried and I wouldn't have gone on the path that I went on. So I want you guys to just really consider all of that stuff. And also companies like invest when they hire you, like find confidence in being hired. I think we all feel, I know I felt like this, we all feel like we have to prove something kind of constantly because it, in a way it feels like such a privilege to do our job, but also our job is really hard and people treat us like anyone could do this all at once. And so that can mess with your confidence depending on what's going on in your environment. And I just want you to find extreme confidence, if in nothing else, that your job hired you to be the authority on the creativity that put you there. And that, you know, companies invest money in you. Every year you are at a company or you are working with a client, you have brand equity with them. You remember what happened in the past, what worked, what didn't. You remember the rules for how the brand is supposed to look and sound 
and their cadence and how people perceive them and how you can steer the ship of that perception. That is all creative driven and very, very important. So the longer you're in one place, the more value you have for that brand in knowing them like a person, you know, it's, it's like getting to know somebody. And so you should be compensated for that knowledge over time through merit increases and raises. Merit increases, as a reminder, are a percentage. It's usually one, two, three percent, three being the typical highest, maybe five if you're lucky. Um, but they are a cost of living increase. So they, that accounts for inflation every year. A raise is something different than a merit increase. And there's nothing wrong with asking a superior how the company views that. There are companies I've worked for that view a merit increase and a raise as the same thing. My personal philosophy is that that is bullshit. And just because you give me a merit increase does not mean I will not ask for a raise later for doing more work or uh, having more value that I can illustrate through examples. And so, you know, I know we're trying to build our confidence from like, I need to be more educated to be hireable. It's not up to you how hireable you are and making this huge leap into like, you've invested in me for a year and I need more money. That's a pretty big leap I just like wrote us into. <laughs> But I want you to like think about yourself like that. Because if you think about yourself like that, you understand your value. And when you understand your value, you feel really confident about what you know and what you're good at. Because even though I talk business and like avenues on how to get places in the creative industry and in capitalism and, and how to be a successful career creative, it all comes from the point that is a given. And I actually don't say this as much as I should. It is a given in every single episode of this podcast, it is a given that you are talented. It is a given that you are skilled and you are knowledgeable and that you are good at what you do. You have spent your whole life being creative. You have spent your whole life curating your taste to bring to work every day. Our ability to edit ourselves, to pull references, to have our taste at this higher level than the average person, to know what's trendy, what's going to be trendy, writing trends, knowing when a trend is over, knowing how words and visuals just feel, they feel right, they feel good. Like describing work like this feels good is the way it's the best way we can be articulate about what we do without being able to articulate it. All of that is an absolute given. Everybody's talented. Everybody's good at what they do. You're good at what you do. You are talented. You have the ability to do this, especially if you're listening to episode 31 of this podcast. <laughs> so that is the given. I talk a lot about business and organizational behavior, and money, and taxes, and all of that. All of that stems from the given fact. You're talented. It's great you went to school. It's great you want to keep going to school if that's your jam. But continuing to do that isn't going to change the fact that you're already talented. Like raw talent just doesn't show up. Raw talent is something, it's like Olympic skaters. You have to have it and use it and be aware of it and hone it 
since you were a child. We're all adults now, if you're listening to this. College, older, you're an adult, dude. So, you know, find solace in that fact. It is a given that you are talented and good at this. Stop putting your the brakes on yourself, thinking you need more education or more this or more that to add like what three years of practice on top of something you've been doing your whole life if you're gonna go be a creative worker go just go do it and you know what you'll find the hiccups really fast you'll find what you love or what you don't really fast you're gonna learn really fast how to figure out working here especially with the advice from this podcast if you're already listening to this so you know look at it that way too you don't need to be scared. It's a given. Sure, some of the market's saturated. Sure, there's a way to be competitive. But you're looking around at all the media anyway. Like, you know, if you're a photographer, you know what your taste level is, what you what you like, what everyone's good at, what you're strong at, what you're weak at. We're comparing ourselves every single day. Social media makes that so easy. <laughs> so, you know, do not count yourself out before you've even counted yourself in because if you're counting yourself out you are not giving anyone access to you to tell you how you could be presenting yourself better for these jobs you're not giving anyone the benefit of considering you to work for them do not count yourself out before they get to count you in it's not up to you if you're feeling super discouraged about your phone not ringing or you're feeling super discouraged at, you know, just the general state of the world. <laughs> I get it. it. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to be rejected over and over. It's really hard to have lulls in work. And it's super hard to deal with that while we're dealing with an unknown time more so than usual. But something my mom always said that always helped me feel better was when you're looking for a job, the f- it only takes one. It only takes one good interview. It only takes one phone call for you to find that opportunity or for that opportunity to welcome you in open arms and potentially change your entire career life in a good way. It only takes one. And I know it's super scary and I know it's super frustrating sometimes, but don't pull yourself out of the pool before anyone gets a chance to look at you. So that's really obviously... The biggest point, um, you know, it's it's not up to you to decide how hireable you are. It's up to you to decide what work you want to show, what work you want to do, how you want to do the work, what makes you happy, what makes you frustrated. All of that is for you to decide. What you don't get to decide is how hireable you are and if people are going to hire you or not. That's up to them. That's up to the market. You are the supply. They are the demand. So... Keep all of that in mind moving forward and, and you know, hopefully it helps you put a fire under your ass if you needed some help. Um, but that's really just, that's the biggest point of, of what I wanted to make starting out this month. Like I said before, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, how you feel, you know. I, I've, I've heard from all of you now. I've given you your interviews. I'm in the comments. You guys are pretty regularly emailing me now. You're finding me on LinkedIn, which I love. That's my favorite thing. You know, we're all on TikTok together. And, and I really encourage you, if you didn't get here from TikTok, to go check the Creative Mentor TikTok out. 
because I've really started accumulating it as a resource page. So there are clips from this podcast. There are random pieces of information just for me through my everyday. I stitch people who are having relevant discussions and adding to it. And I duet accounts that I think will help you. And I duet accounts that help me, like an attorney that's telling us the rules. So we're a little more empowered at work, Um, you know. One of my absolute favorite TikTokers is Job Doctor Tessa. She just has these bite-sized, really helpful, you know, touch bases, at least for me, because I can get kind of emotional about my work. She does a great job grounding me. She goes live all the time, and she answers a ton of questions. I love her account. She's stitched all over my thing, but I really, truly, and there's another, oh, I wish I could remember her. Uh, People who talk about illustration agents, like y'all ask me all these questions. And even if I don't know the answers, when I come across users who do, I put them in there. So go poke around because it's not just my beautiful face talking to you and giving you advice or clips from this podcast. It's a network of people you can look around on on TikTok and also start to curate your algorithm on TikTok to more of that information that's going to help you a lot more than potentially I can. I'm just trying to frame these things out for you, you know, and and share my expertise where relevant, which is being a mouthpiece for all of these things to help give you context. So there you go. If you want some more context for stuff, I do have a Patreon. Right now, it's just giving episodes a week early. If you're interested in premium content, that's $2. At $7, I have a workbook that I put out at the end of every single month. Last month just came out recently. Um, but, uh, or last week rather. Um, but yeah, so I make, uh, workbooks that essentially like are a synopsis of everything that we've talked about for the month. So, you know, if you don't want to listen to these podcasts a bajillion times or I'm mentioning resources or links that you don't want to write down or remember, these workbooks are interactive PDFs and you can just click and go. And also I'll put questions in there. Like I try to build it to be like a well-designed workbook so that you can write in it, you can scribble in it, you can doodle in it, you can click on links to go to these pages I'm talking about. It's just, I'm really trying to make it a, a reference guide workbook for you. So every month for $7 a month, I put that out there. I design it myself. I'm a one woman show. I'm pretty proud of them. I love making them there. It's also great practice for me. So y'all are helping me. So that's up. what's up there for the premium content. And the Patreon is also just a hub for all of the content from this podcast. So even if you don't want to subscribe to any premium content, you can still follow the Patreon page and get all of the free information for free the second it all comes out, which, you know, is part of the goal. I'm trying to make this as accessible as possible for anyone who wants it. So that's kind of the system I've set up for everything. And uh, that's all I've got for you today. So until next week, I will talk to you all later.